This is episode number 193 with artificial intelligence expert Roman Yampolsky. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Very excited to have you on the show today. And today we've got a very interesting episode about artificial intelligence. Roman Yampolsky is a renowned expert in the field of AI. He's written multiple books, has given many talks on this topic. And as you'll see from this podcast, it is just so fast paced. Like get ready to keep up probably prepare yourself and be in like in a high energy state because if you're taking notes you're going to be taking notes like crazy if not just make sure you concentrate on the whole conversation is going to be very fast you will actually notice how we dive straight into it there's like right away from the very start we go straight into ai and it's like boom 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 no question answer question answer question answer it is was very exciting for me personally to hear from one of the leading experts in the field of artificial intelligence. So what do we talk about today? We'll talk about the following topics here, are just some of the things we cover. Artificial intelligence safety. Uh, what is artificial intelligence? Is artificial intelligence and the internet, are they evil? Careers in artificial intelligence security. Artificial intelligence taking over jobs, universal basic income. Uh, data science data science and data scientists automated by artificial intelligence. Um, business, how artificial intelligence impacts business owners and what business owners should know about AI, how quickly AI will take over in the coming years, uh, and we'll even touch on quantum computers. So there is just a quick overview of some of the topics we'll be covering. You will hear many more in this podcast, and I personally can't wait for you to check out this conversation. So here we go. Without further ado, I bring to you AI expert Roman Yampolsky. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we've got a very exciting guest on the show, Roman Yampolsky. Roman, welcome to the show. How are you going today? Doing really well. That was the best pronunciation of my name ever. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. The thing is that both Roman and I, we speak Russian. And before the show, I asked him how to pronounce his name. And I tried with a Russian accent, so it'd be Roman Yampolsky. And now, for some reason, I said it with an English accent. Yeah. I totally, totally get it. But I hope you can forgive me. And um, no, I actually excited. liked it. I wasn't being sarcastic. It's oh, okay. pretty good. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, in any case, very excited to have you on the show. Um, for those who don't know, Roman is like a top AI expert in the space of security and artificial intelligence in general. We we're just chatting on video just now, and you've got all these robots behind you on the fridge. Tell us the story behind that. Why do you have so many robots like sitting in your apartment? So I'm a professor and part of my job is to recruit students. We go to local high schools, different events, and the best way to get kids interested in computer science and engineering is to let them play with robots. So every year I buy the latest models and over the years I got quite a collection 
my defense army behind me. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, and what's what's the latest robot just like of this year? What do you know the name of the model? I have no clue, but actually they're getting more disappointing every year. I don't know if it's something to do with Toys R Us going out of business or what, but uh, the quality is just dropping. I'm looking for good ones to buy under $100, and there is not much available. Okay. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Um, so, Roman, you're in uh, Kentucky, right? Yes. Louisville is that the city Louisville Kentucky Louisville yes. Kentucky and uh, how did you get there so you've been in Kentucky 10 years tell us the story behind that so after I graduated with my PhD from University at Buffalo I applied to I think it was 76 jobs academic jobs mm. and uh, that was 2008 so the market was not doing well mm -hmm. I got uh, one offer and I took it mm -hmm. and it was in Kentucky it was in Kentucky. Uh, okay. Actually, I love it. Kentucky is awesome. Uh, I think it has a brand problem. People don't recognize just how great it is. Okay, well, and that's uh, for our non-US listeners. That's in the middle of the US. Is that right? The real America, yes. <laughs> the real America. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, tell us a bit about your background. Like, you mentioned you're a professor, like, and you're in the space of artificial intelligence. If somebody off the street were to ask you, Roman, what do you do? What would you say? So I'm a computer scientist, which means I teach uh, humans how to teach computers. Mm -hmm. And uh, specifically, I try to make whatever instructions we give to computers safe and secure. So bad guys can't hack them. So the system works as intended. Uh, that's a very high level introduction to what I do. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And how did you get into this field? I always loved technology, always loved video games, science fiction. It kind of naturally progressed to what now I'm doing, science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And, and you uh, just uh, also, I wanted to congratulate you. You said you just published a book. It's like just became available on Amazon. Huge congratulations on that. Thank you. This is my 10th, so extra special, and it just uh, came out as number one new release on Amazon and artificial intelligence. It's a huge one, almost 500 pages, and has the best uh, researchers, philosophers on the field of AI safety and security. Really excited. Wow. This is your 10th book. That is, that is crazy. That is so cool. And uh, for our listeners, the title is Artificial Intelligence, Safety and Security. Uh, it's the first edition, and you can find it on Amazon. Tell us a bit about this book. Like, what was the inspiration that went into this book, and what is it all about? So AI safety is a new field at the intersection of artificial intelligence and cybersecurity, how to make safe and secure machines. Everyone's trying to make more capable machines, just get AI to do something, release some product. Very few people are concerned with making those uh, products safe and secure for consumers, for society in general. And so this field was born a couple years ago and it had no, no textbook, no centralized text where people can quickly pick up what's going on, what is the state of the art. So that was the idea behind the book. I got uh, 28 chapters in it, most of them from top scholars in artificial intelligence and philosophy and cybersecurity and many other domains and all of them speaking about this uh, this issue how do we control intelligent machines how do we secure them mm -hmm. okay gotcha but uh, right now we we don't really have robots walking around the streets the the ai that most companies are kind of like using and making uh, profits on is things that are you know predicting 
consumer behavior, recommender systems, or you know things like Alexa and things like that. So, what is the concern there? Are they, is the concern that they're going to rebel, or is the concern that there's some there might be some uh, biases inherent in the AI or some discrimination that they're performing? What is the main uh, safety concern? So I, I think I'll disagree a little. We do have robots all around us. We may not recognize them as such. For example, self-driving cars, mm. uh, exactly that. We also have delivery robots now. So more and more, we do have physical embodied systems uh, playing along humans. And we need to make sure nobody can hack your self-driving car and make you fly off a cliff. So that would be one kind of existing technology example. But uh, I do have interest in future technology as well. So not just intelligent systems we have today or in the next five years, but long term, what happens in 10 years, 20 years, what happens to military AI, what happens to the software you described, of course, and all the problems people are concerned about, technological unemployment, algorithmic bias, a part of this, but uh, there are different components to this safety uh, landscape. Some are more immediate concerns, economic concerns, others more long-term and more in terms of existential risk and survival. Okay, so it sounds like um, what the guys uh, from Siri did with Apple, when, uh, or with, uh, with what the guys from Siri did basically, when they were creating Siri, they looked to the future. They weren't, the technology wasn't even ready yet and they were already creating something that would only be possible with future technologies. That, does that sound, sound like about right that you look with your book, you're not only describing the present, but also looking to the future and trying to, um, you know, see what kind of precautions we can take before it's too late. It is exactly right. And I think it is the only way to be successful in business and startup space. You can't kind of keep up uh, with, uh, you know, what's been around for many years if you're not planning ahead. You have to look at exponential trends in technology and go, okay, where is this technology going to be in five years? Wonderful. If I start work now, in four and a half years, I'll release this amazing product which will match capabilities of uh, software and hardware at a time and I'll dominate the market. Mm -hmm. Same with cybersecurity. You need time to develop safety mechanisms. If somebody releases a product today and we start looking at how can we secure it, well, that's not good. That's what we did with internet, for example. We released it, it's super useful, but it has no security built in. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we're all paying the cost. We're now doing it with Internet 2.0, Internet of Things, same thing. Just release the product, release the product, no safety or cybersecurity built in from the ground up. I'm hoping that we're not going to repeat this mistake with uh, intelligent systems. Okay, gotcha. And uh, can you maybe comment on the Asimov's uh, Three Loves of uh, Robotics? I, I think uh, sure. So those are literary tools. Yep. Huh? Yep. Yep. Sorry, I, literary I was just... tools. They are designed to fail to make interesting books. Uh, mm -hmm. They obviously cannot be implemented in any real systems. They are self-contradictory. They are ambiguous, ill-defined. So I think it's more of a lesson in what doesn't work for safety and security. <laughs> okay. So let, let's just uh, let's just quote them for the people who uh, don't know them. They were in the movie I Robot with Will Smith, and obviously in the books. So first one is a robot may not injure a human being or through action, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Or number two, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So 
where in your view does do these like uh, do they fail what, why how would you augment them to make make uh, systems better better and safer in the future well they fail at a level of definitions when you say protect a human you have to define what a human is and what it means to prevent them from coming to harm mm -hmm. if i see you smoking or eating a donut it clearly endangers your health should i <laughs> you know, prevent you from engaging in those actions. Uh, I feel there is a non-zero chance of you having a car accident. Should I prevent you from ever driving or should I keep you in some locked up box just to make sure you are in good, safe environment at all times? You, you can go quite extreme with those. Uh, obviously, to a human, they seem like silly solutions, but to a machine, they make just as much sense given the requirements of the three laws. Okay. Okay. Wow. I never thought of it that way. All right. So given, you know, the complexity of the question, then how how do you go about it in your book? If you don't mind sharing a, a couple of examples from the book that just got published. So this is, as I said, a new field. We don't have many solutions. At this point, we're kind of recognizing the problems and uh, what might go wrong. So a lot of research is trying to understand how such systems fail. One of my projects is collecting different examples of uh, intelligent systems failing. So how robots fail, how industrial systems can fail, how software fails in different domains. And the hope is that we can analyze those examples and predict future problems and prevent them as a result. So a lot of this classifying different types of failure, what, what can we expect from external actors, hackers, internal problems. Uh, there are solutions for small subdomain issues, but there are no global solutions yet. That's exactly what we're researching, how to make those systems safe and secure. And as of today, no one has a safety mechanism which works for any level of intelligence, scales up, works in all environments. That's exactly what the problem is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, are we seeing in the current day and age already some examples of failures like where where there they have been consequences or consequences of artificial intelligence systems failing uh, absolutely i'll give you a few examples some more trivial than others uh anytime you have a self-driving car kill a pedestrian that's mm -hmm. obviously a failure of the system it's designed to avoid exactly that more trivially something like microsoft chatbot a which was released to interact with users, but very quickly became racist, violent, kind of nasty to, to its users, embarrassing the company. Mm -hmm. So at that level, that's, that's clearly a failed uh, chatbot, but uh, they didn't anticipate this uh, going to happen, which is kind of silly when you give users a chance to control the learning of the system. Mm -hmm. Okay, un understood. And um, so do you think these failings will become more global and like more drastic in the future or do you think that we still have an opportunity to control them we have an opportunity to do better but as of right now the trend is they become more common they are growing exponentially as technology itself grows and more and more people use different types of ai and the damage they cause will be proportionate to how much control the system has. If you have a nuclear response system or a system controlling a power plant, if it fails, the consequences are very serious. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I see exactly that happening and more and more uh, malevolent actors, hackers, will have ability to use this technology in a kind of negative way. It's a dual-use technology, so they'll be able to take a very reasonable, good product developed for a specific purpose and use it in an unpredictable or at least 
uh, a way which we didn't foresee to, to cause maximum damage. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. And did you hear that like literally a few days ago, um, I think Technology Review posted on this that Google, so MIT Technology Review, uh, Google uh, just gave control over its data center cooling to an artificial intelligence. Like uh, I think a year ago they were doing some tests and they, it was very successful. And now Google DeepMind is, with the help of DeepMind, they are, they've handed over control of their cooling systems to an artificial intelligence. We all know how massive Google is and how much, you know, how big their centers should be. What are your thoughts on that? Like, this is a first massive step in that direction, that artificial intelligence is now taking over this whole control. What kind of problems do you see that that could cause? So that's obviously a great solution. They're saving energy. I think something like 40% improvement in efficiency of those data centers. But again, how secure is the system against external impact? Can someone penetrate it and mess with it, disabling all Google services as a result? Uh, I don't have any internal knowledge of that specific system, but that's something I would check first just to make sure, okay, this is not going to be an issue for us. Okay. And so... Um, let's, let's say hypothetically, if you were implementing a system like that, would you, like, what kind of controls would you implement? Would you have like another artificial intelligence monitoring that, or would you have humans monitoring that? Or would it be like a red button that a human can press to switch everything and revert it back? Like, I just want to understand a bit of an example of how, what is a control system over an artificial intelligence in nowadays? Right. So you don't always have an option of reverting back to human control. Mm -hmm. The systems are so complex, no single person can manage. You're kind of stuck relying on software. And it's good to have multiple levels of redundancy where, okay, if this AI fails, there is a system which can take over. But again, we don't have a perfect solution for how to control systems of such complexity. That's exactly what uh, my research is all about, figuring out, is it possible? what uh, level of uh, accuracy can we achieve with that and so on. Okay, gotcha. Um, my, my next question then would be um, artificial intelligence. What is your definition of AI? Because some, some systems use, like uh, for instance, I would assume like uh, some complex systems use machine learning, but not, uh, not necessarily artificial intelligence. So it doesn't have that component of reinforcement learning in it. Or some other systems might use deep learning, but again, without reinforcement learning. What is the definition of artificial intelligence in, in your book, in your, um, in your worldview? I don't think it's technology specific. There are many different ways to implement intelligent algorithms. The description uh, is more related to ability to automate human behavior, physical labor, cognitive labor. So automating things people know how to do, teaching machines to do them, whatever it's writing books, driving cars, any type of human behavior, whatever it's done with neural networks uh, or some, you know, expert system approach, it doesn't really matter. The behavior is the same and some of the possible problems are similar. So in so basically, just so I understand, like, for instance, a logistic regression would also qualify as an artificial intelligence system in this definition. 
So the reason it's hard to pinpoint the definition for this, it's so fuzzy, both for intelligence and for artificial intelligence. Um, at some point, I think I made a statement that the smallest unit of AI is an if statement, mm -hmm. makes a decision. You cannot go any smaller than that. And it's kind of trivial, but it's true. There are good definitions in terms of what we talk about when we mean intelligence, ability to optimize in multiple environments, uh, win, essentially win whatever your goals are over other agents. Uh, but uh, we don't have a very well-defined science of uh, measuring intelligence of non-human agents, trying to understand how it can be combined with other agents. All of it is kind of part of what I'm looking at, different aspects of it. What can we say about intelligence? How do you develop it? How do you control it? How do you measure it? How do you combine it? So anything to do with uh, intelligence of any type of agent, human or artificial, is part of what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. Um, and uh, when you you said in your book you've got some of the most brightest minds in the space sharing their thoughts, could you mention a couple of people that you've talked to for this book uh, specifically and what has their contribution to the field been? Right, so this is an edited book. It has chapter contributions from many, many scholars. Some of the big names, uh, I love name dropping here. Mm -hmm. So Bill Joy is one of the contributors, uh, Sun Microsystems. Ray Kurzweil, director of engineering at Google. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Bostrom, who's a philosopher famous for his work on safety of superintelligence. Mm -hmm. Max Tegmark, who did uh, amazing work in physics with uh, mathematical universes and such. Uh, just just to give you a feel, but uh, there is, uh, I think, 45 uh, contributors in total. Wow. How did you get them all in one room? Uh, they weren't in one room. It took about a year of my life to track them down and <laughs> uh, molest them into doing it. I think one day I'll write a book about how I got this book to come out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a lot of uh, kind of busy work. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. I'd I'd love to get your opinion on the ethical consideration of our considerations of artificial intelligence we talked a bit about safety and we'll probably come back to that topic in the, in a bit but let's talk about a bit about ethics so what do you think will happen and will it happen when ai starts taking over jobs right like they usually you hear these things that 100 years ago um 70 percent of the us or some something along those lines uh, a large, basically more than half of the population of the U.S. was employed in uh, agriculture, in farming, in um, uh, creating uh, food. Now it's less than 3%. Uh, but that happened over a gradual period of time. Over 100 years, technology uh, helped free up humans to do more interesting things. Now we're facing a problem where this is going to happen very quickly. Over the, the space of a decade, a lot of jobs are going to be taken over by artificial intelligence, whether they're blue-collar or white-collar jobs. So the question I would have for you is like, what are your predictions there and what is, uh, what is, what is going to happen to the world? So I, I agree with those trends and I think there are a few differences uh, from the historical precedent. So one, we always developed tools, tools to help us be more productive, tools which uh, we use to become more efficient and so it grew economy. 
This is different because now we're developing agents. They no longer need us to use them. They can do more and more independent work. And eventually, when we get to human-level performance, they'll be able to do all work for us. So all jobs will be automated, including my job, uh, any other job. So that completely changes uh, how society functions. You no longer have to go to work, which for some of us is a disappointment. For others, it's a great thing. They finally don't have to. There is economic support net, uh, some sort of unconditional basic income you get. Uh, many people will be quite happy with it. Mm. Short term, yes, will replace jobs we're losing with other jobs, maybe better jobs. The problem is if you lose a low-skill job, like, uh, I don't know, mining in Kentucky, it doesn't mean you can now retrain the same people to do high-skill work. So people often talk about, yeah, we'll create new jobs in this hyperspace, cyber worlds, virtual space. Well, most of those jobs are not uh, uh, accessible to the people who lost their low-level skills jobs. So we need to come up with kind of intermediate plan for, for handling that. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, gotcha. And so do you think we will come up with a plan like that? Well, there are people working on it, again, kind of taxing robots and uh, trying to uh, redistribute that lost income back to people who lost their jobs seems like a reasonable step, at least for short term. Uh, There are plans to retrain people as much as possible. I think short term was uh, those are adequate solutions. I'm not sure if we have a better plan long term for for what to do with people's time. So if all of you all of a sudden have 40, 60, 80 hours of extra time every week, uh, what, what do you do with it? Not everyone is an artist or a poet. So what happens? Is it an explosion in sports? Is it lots of fishing? Uh, we need to figure <laughs> out what people do with their time. Yeah, yeah, and and how to get people not to be bored, right? Because when you when you don't have something that you're contributing to, the something that you are, you know, giving back to or creating in your work and seeing the results of your labor, then you there's a possibility of becoming, you know, like um, perpetually upset, sad, or even depressed, and not, you know, bored, just generally bored. So like, um, it is it is quite a big challenge, and that's. That's my kind of like, um, like I understand universal basic income, you know, the whole con premises for it. But that's that's my concern. Like, what what are people gonna do with their time? You know, like uh, one 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 idea I heard though was like to get people to like in order to receive universal basic income, they would have to learn. They would have to study. Go on like on uh, websites like Khan Academy and take courses or Coursera and and others and like learn new skills and new things or discover history and things like that. So just to keep them occupied. What are your thoughts on that? So I agree we'll have a problem with so many people defining who they are through their careers. Loss of that identity would be problematic. We will definitely see a lot more bored people, sad people, maybe suicidal tendencies will go up. We see it with more advanced societies uh, requiring less to to survive, less work effort. Uh, It it may work for some to kind of encourage learning and continuous education. It doesn't work for everybody. Not everyone can take an online MOOC course and do well in it. Also, uh, I'm not sure if it's unconditional income, then you can't really condition it on taking courses and doing well in them. So that's another, it becomes your job is not like it's a stipend for a student. 
So I don't think sentience is a part of it. We just uh, have concern about very capable learning systems. Whatever they self-aware, whatever they have consciousness is a very different issue. has more to do with robot rights and things of that nature. But uh, yes, if you have a system which is uh, capable of learning at human level, you have no safety mechanisms, no controls, and you're just freely connected to the Internet, you have very little uh, control over what it's going to learn and how it's going to use that information, who else is going to get access to it. So in general, I would not recommend connecting your AGI to Internet right away just to see what happens. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, on that same topic, uh, you mentioned you interviewed Ray Kurzweil. And... Uh, for our listeners on futurism.com, there's this little piece called The Dawn of the Singularity. It's uh, based on predictions from Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil has been making predictions since the 90s. He's made 147 predictions, and they have had an astonishing accuracy rate of 86%. And so here, there's like a little infographic where he predicts some really crazy things that, uh, for instance, in the, tw- in the year 2029, Artificial intelligences claim to be conscious and openly petition for recognition of this fact. Um, let's say another one. In 2040, nanobiological intelligence is now billions of times more capable than biological intelligence. 2045, the singularity AI surpasses human beings as the most as the smartest and most capable life form on the planet. And 2099, which is, if you think about it, it's only, what does that give us, like 81 years away? Uh, organic human beings are a small minority of the intelligent life forms on Earth. Is that really the future that awaits us? Well, obviously, nobody knows for sure. I mean, Ray has a good record of making very accurate predictions. He predicted the year computers will win uh, chess tournaments against humans, world championship. He has a number of other, as you said, reliable predictions. But I think this far in advance, it's very hard to be accurate. The general trend he's pointing to, the growing capability of machines versus humans, integration of biological with non-biological is definitely something I agree with. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. Um, Well, let's let's move now a bit to uh, away from like futurism and things like that. Let's move more to now. What can people listening to this podcast do for their careers now to take into account all of these things that are happen, are happening around artificial intelligence? So one thing, if you're a student, be very careful with the major you select. Make sure by the time you graduate and looking for a job, the job still exists. Don't major in some dead technology no one's going to use. Try to, again, as we said, predict the future and place yourself just right for the future demand in the occupation. Right now, things like Machine learning, cybersecurity, crypto economics are incredibly hot. There is large demand for them, and it's likely they'll continue to grow in the future years. So if you are just at the point where you're selecting a major, I think those are good options for you. If you're already a working professional, maybe pick up those skills, maybe take a course. Uh, It's definitely going to be useful in your future to be able to do those things. Gotcha. And so like one example I, I really like, um, of a profession that probably won't exist for very long is umpires. You know, like the people that watch tennis matches and they like call out when the ball is out or when the ball is in. You know, that's more of a tradition even now than, uh, than a necessity. So we, when that tradition dies off, like maybe 10, 20, 30 years from now, it won't really be 
necessary. So I wouldn't study to be an umpire, some like along those lines. Do you have an example? I don't even know if you study for that or just something you pick up in 20 minutes. I have no knowledge of <laughs> that domain pretty... whatsoever. So don't listen to me. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm, well, what about you? Do you have an example of a profession that will probably not exist in 20, 30 years? Well, uh, I'm much more pragmatic. So what is the large uh, number of people working at things like accounting? Mm. To me, that seems completely insane that there are people retyping information from printed receipts back into computer, then use Excel to sum things over. Like all of that is fully automatable with today's technology. Mm -hmm. There is no reason for so many of those low level accounting jobs to exist already. And I think there are predictions uh, which say, okay, in the next 10 years or so, something like 84% of accountants will be uh, automated. We saw it with tax professionals. Most people now do taxes, I think, themselves with help of software. And we'll see this trend continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I originally had on the podcast uh, Daniel and Leigh Pullen, who are experts in robotics process automation and that's you know that's one of the softwares that is going to edge out accounting in the near future and what they mentioned was that the ethical the real ethical concern is not about the accountants that are going to lose their jobs but it's more about um, the what kind of jobs are going to be edged out by artificial intelligence and that is like the as you mentioned the low level accounting jobs the re-entry jobs the the more learning jobs that people have to go through in order to get to the higher level accounting jobs. And so the problem there is once these low level jobs are edged out by artificial intelligence, the question is how will people get to those high end jobs? Because ultimately the high, higher, more complex tasks like uh, you know corporate accounting and things like that where you will still need humans for quite a bit of time after the low level jobs are gone. So the question is, how will humans, you know, after graduating university, where will they get the experience to get to the high complex jobs if the low level jobs are all taken over by artificial intelligence? All right, that's definitely something to look at. How do we actually continue training humans as AI becomes more competitive in those low end jobs? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so that, that's some great advice for students and people who are like, looking to get started into their careers. What about professionals who are in the space of data science? There's, there's uh, lots of people who are data scientists or moving into the field of data science right now uh, and they're listening to this podcast. What would you have to say for them? Like, is artificial intelligence a field they should look into? Um, maybe, you know, like augment their machine learning skills or, um, you know, what types of artificial intelligence should they look out for and things like that? Well, definitely try to understand the cutting edge technology in machine learning. Use those tools, help you build better models, automate the process of model building. Uh, more and more we see this where kind of standard day-to-day -day, uh, work of uh, data analysis is automatable. More and more data mining and things of that nature can be done uh, fully autonomously by machines. So what is your contribution? If you're doing the same thing every day, kind of, clicking a few buttons, you are highly replaceable. Try to come up with uh, something unique, something differentiating you. You're developing new, not just, uh, you know, number of layers in a neural net, but a new type of neural network, things of that nature. Not, not possible for everyone, but if you can get there, it will guarantee you job security for as long as possible. Okay, gotcha. And I always, uh, I, I, I agree with that, that sentiment. And I actually always mention to data scientists that 
in my opinion, the highest paid data science jobs and the ones that will be the hardest to automate are the connector jobs, the data scientists or machine learning experts, AI experts, who are not just creating algorithms, but who are actually talking to the clients, who are explaining how these algorithms are working, who are acting as the connector between the world of technology and the world of business or the, or the world of the consumer, whoever is consuming that technology. And in my personal opinion, that, that is going to be the hardest part to automate because that requires a social, sociable skill, a, a, a skill to be able to explain complex topics to a non-technical audience. What are your thoughts on that? It makes sense. I would call it human privilege, something machines cannot yet do. Participate in our social gatherings, go to clubs, play golf with us. It definitely gives you an advantage. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you think machines will ever be uh, capable of creativity? I think they are already. We've seen machines uh, create beautiful paintings, uh, music, uh, poems uh, at the level where average person cannot tell whatever it was artificially generated or a human made it so to me they they've been doing it for a while uh, i i agree but ho however i th i think that's more like creativity that's like directed creativity like a human tells it to create a poem and it creates a poem a human tells it to um you know re recreate a painting or create a painting and it does that but will it will they ever have their own kind of like ideas and thoughts on how on what they want to do I think they will, but uh, I, I want to keep it fair. How many people out of seven and a half billion engage in such level of creativity? Almost none. We call them creative geniuses. There is a dozen of them. Mm -hmm. Most people with human level intelligence, general intelligence, are not very creative, don't come up with anything novel, and barely can do if you tell them to do it. You write a poem. Most cannot do it, but maybe some will succeed. So I think it's a very high standard you're setting, well beyond what people are expected to perform as but uh, nonetheless i believe computers will get there where they will be super creative much more creative than humans they have certain advantages they can really consider the space of possibilities fully and uh, come up with things we'll probably won't understand gotcha and when do you predict the first turing test will be passed successfully so it really depends on how you define it. Turing in his original work talked about 30% success rate for five minutes. We already got to that level. Uh, if you're talking about unrestricted Turing test, uh, so basically getting to human level intelligence, uh, again, relying on Ray Kurzweil's predictions, I think something like 2045 is a very reasonable number. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay, um, so we talked about advice for students, advice for existing data scientists and people wanting to move into data science. Let's uh, talk a little bit about advice for business owners. So about 10% or just above that of our audience are business owners, entrepreneurs, directors, executives. Um, question for you, what would you say to them about artificial intelligence? How important is it for companies to start adopting AI and should they start doing this quickly or wait for their competitors to test the waters? Well, I think they're already behind if they haven't started work on it. I mean, you're competing with companies which are optimizing their process, automating it, making it as efficient as possible in terms of communication, data analysis. If you are not uh, doing something with that, you're really falling behind already. So I strongly suggest seeing how you can automate some of that process automate some of the labor costs uh, it's definitely worth your time i think okay gotcha and um in compare like uh andrew Nye has this quote that ai is the new electricity 100 years ago you know most businesses didn't have electricity and 
uh, it was uh, you know like it was a challenge it was kind of like it was just getting introduced now you cannot I, I, I like I love this question like I ask people sometimes name me even one business it doesn't have to be online business any kind of business one business that doesn't use electricity pretty much every single business in the world uses electricity nowadays so my question to you will be how quickly do you think we'll get to a stage where every single business in the world will be using artificial intelligence? How many years will that take? So that goes back to our question about definitions. If we stick with a very low level of what it requires to be called artificial intelligence, then I think most businesses today already do it. We have spell checkers for writing the reports. They have GPS systems for navigating deliveries. Uh, it really depends on what you mean by that. If you're talking about human level intelligence, no one has that yet. But I think all the big successful companies are betting heavily on, on machine learning and AI, whatever it's Google, Facebook, Apple, all of them are at forefront of that research. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, gotcha. And uh, my next question would probably, so we covered off all of those aspects of uh, advice. Thank you for that. My next question would be, uh, in general, overall, like where do you think we're going as as a civilization? Do you really think that we're going to, as Elon Musk predicts, start integrating ourselves with artificial intelligence or are we going to live side by side with AI? So it's, it's very hard for someone not to do something if others are engaging in it and it gives them competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. If your competitors integrate with uh, machines and they have better memory, access to internet, it's very hard for you to kind of say, well, I'm not interested in that. I'll stay unaugmented, kind of like Amish lifestyle. You can, but uh, you won't be competitive in that environment. So it seems like market, uh, the capitalist system kind of forces you to adopt all the latest uh, gadgets and brain implants or whatever it is to, to just uh, be able to participate in the system. If you don't have a smartphone today, are you really competitive in a business space? Do you react to changes in the market? So yeah, I think it's going to happen. My concern is long term as that uh, brain chip you have, that smartphone you including becomes more and more capable. What is it you contributing to this hybrid relationship? You become a bottleneck. You have a slow piece of meat attached to the processor. So very quickly, you become irrelevant and the system removes you from, from the equation. So, so does that mean that you're saying that artificial intelligence will rebel and aim to get rid of all humans? I don't like this term rebel. It implies some sort of a desire to take over power struggle. Those are human qualities. I'm just saying if you're designing an engineering system and you start by having a human brain and an artificial intelligence working together, right now it makes perfect sense. Humans have capabilities, machines don't, and vice versa. So the hybrid is more powerful. Mm -hmm. Over time, as machines are capable of doing more and more of what a person does and doing it faster, there is less and less uh, need for, for having the human in that system. And uh, if you take this to the extreme, there is zero need for a human to be part of that equation. So they get uh, taken out of that system. So now machines are the ones making decisions, producing everything, and essentially in charge of everything. And uh, the question becomes, what is it we're doing and what are the rights and privileges we have? Okay. Um, okay, gotcha. And uh, Tim Urban from Wait But Why, he has a wonderful piece on, I think it's called The Path to Artificial Intelligence. And he talks about as soon as we have artificial intelligence, that will be 
like a technological singularity that from that point on, we're talking about general artificial intelligence, which uh, Ray Kurzweil predicts around the year 2045. Um, once we have that, it will start thinking so fast and creating things so quickly that we won't be able to keep up. It will be a completely different world. Like even now, we, we can see that you know the amount of data is growing so fast in the in the world that we're all, like almost doubling the amount of data that we've created. It only takes us a couple of years to double the amount of data we created since the dawn of humankind. So um, once our general artificial intelligence is in the game, then it will start inventing things for us. You know, like we will start living forever. We might get time travel. We might get teleportation and things like that. Just because it's so much smarter than us. Um, do you think that that type of technological singularity is something that we are going to be faced with? I think so. It, it may be a much slower process. It may it may not uh, learn that quickly. And so instead of minutes, days, it will take months or years. But it does sound like something we're going to face. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so how do you prepare for a world like that then? I don't know if you can. Uh, so the idea is that we somehow can stay in control and stay in charge. But so far, I haven't seen any good examples or reasons to believe that a lower intelligence can control much, much higher intelligence. I'm mm -hmm. still looking for a good mathematical proof or mm -hmm. evidence of any kind, but it doesn't look promising so far. Okay, so then, then the question, the natural question is, why are we doing this? Like, why are, you know, why did you write your book? Why are people doing research in this space? When like the brightest minds of the world are still debating whether or not we will be able to prepare or even survive this kind of change. So it's a competitive marketplace. If you don't do it, your competitor will do it anyway. So you might as well participate to at least have some control over the outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, I do research hoping to find solutions, hoping to uh, discover, okay, there are ways we can stay in control to a certain degree or maybe partial control so we, we can do better than doing nothing mm -hmm. gotcha gotcha okay um so what's uh, <laughs> is the safest option to take a one-way ticket to mars and just look watch observe from there uh, I don't know. A lot of people I meet are interested in going to Mars. I never understood that uh, it doesn't seem like it's a fun place. There is not much to do and you'll probably die very soon. So I'm not <laughs> excited yet. Well, at least you won't have robots that to worry about and artificial. Mars time. is the planet which is completely populated by robots, over a hundred of them right now. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Um, all right. What else? What else was I going to talk about? What are your thoughts on um, how quickly Google DeepMind won um, at the game of Go? That was not expected for another ten years. Does that mean that our advances in AI are way faster than we were thinking? Uh, they are, and uh, it was a bit surprising. But again, they had very good hardware, a lot of compute. So usually projections were made for like, okay, a standard computer, how long it's going to take before it's powerful enough, whereas they had access to the whole data center and could, uh, could compute uh, in a matter of weeks, months, years of processing. So I, I think you have to adjust for that. But still, it was about 10 years ahead of schedule. So I think it's a very good warning sign about what's coming in other domains. Okay, gotcha. Um, and what are your thoughts on quantum computers? Will that somehow enable AI even further? Or is that some, some completely uh, other 
area of technology? So it may be useful. I don't think human brain relies on quantum effects uh, that much, despite what some people suggest. So I think it's possible to get intelligent and super intelligent systems without quantum computing, just with von Neumann architecture. But uh, it seems to be doing some very cool things for space of cryptography, for example, breaking certain cryptographic protocols. So it's definitely a very impactful technology. It's still in infancy right now. It's not very useful for anything, but it's growing exponentially as well in terms of number of qubits it has. And uh, I think uh, it will impact uh, e-commerce, how we do public encryption in the short term. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and from... I'm just like going through my notes from this podcast and patching up the holes that we didn't cover off. Uh, in our, you mentioned uh, about AI security that that is a good career path for the future. And like from all of the things we discussed today, it's it's pretty evident that that is the case. Uh, where would somebody learn about uh, artificial intelligence security and build a career in there? Is like is that something that is even taught anywhere? It is starting to be. So as I said, we now have a first textbook on a subject. There is a number of centers at actually the best universities. So places like Berkeley, MIT, Oxford, Cambridge have uh, centers specifically for studying AI safety. So if you're lucky enough to get into one of them, I'm always happy to take on students. So that's University of Louisville. You do have options. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, well, um, I'm actually in awe and I will take I will need some time to process all of this so is there anything else that you personally would like to get across to our listeners there'll be over 6,000 people listening to this podcast in the next couple of weeks is there any message you'd like to share with them before we start wrapping up so I'm always amazed at the number of people who know nothing about the things which are most important in my life, like, okay, super intelligence, cryptocurrencies, life extension. So my advice is always just to kind of learn about those things. They might impact your life, change your life, and make your life better if you understand what the, what the topic is. So I assume your listeners are already above average in terms of what they're interested in. But if those uh, topics sound uh, uh, completely novel to you, definitely do some reading. We, we mentioned Ray Kurzweil's work. He has awesome books on Singularity. And uh, I, I would recommend you get engaged with that. Okay, gotcha. And I, I can also recommend a, um, a blog uh, that like, gets emailed to you by Peter Diamandis. It's called Abundance Insider. And yeah, I enjoy that once a week and it gives you the most recent updates on all of these technologies. So yeah, that's also another good one. Okay, well, Roman, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, where can our listeners get in touch with you and follow you and find out more about your career and the things that you're going to be getting into in the future? Well, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook. Just don't follow me home. It's very important. Uh, but yeah, if you just Google me, all my papers are available for free online. My books are available on Amazon. Just Google my name, Roman Yampolsky. Awesome. And is LinkedIn also an option to follow you? I don't use it that much. It's, I think it's more for industry than academia, but I do have an account. So if you absolutely must, I will, I'll, okay. I'll friend you. Yes. So, But Twitter is better, right? Twitter, Facebook, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, Roman, thank you so much for coming on the show. Wonderful, wonderful discussion today. One last question for you. What's a book, apart, of course, from your book that we already discussed, and by the way, for our listeners, it's called 
artificial intelligence safety and security just got released on amazon highly recommend for everybody to pick it up what's another book that you personally enjoyed that you can recommend to our listeners to help them enhance their careers so I mentioned uh, books by Kurzweil, his books on Singularity, he has multiple ones. Uh, I think all of them are quite wonderful, uh, both in terms of describing his vision and giving you connections to work of other people in that space so you can keep exploring afterwards. Gotcha. So books by Ray Kurzweil. Okay, well, once again, thank you so much, Roman, for coming onto the show. Very happy to have had you here. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to learn some valuable insights about AI from this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. So there you have it. That was artificial intelligence expert Roman Yampolsky. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And you probably felt just like me that it was very, very fast paced. It was like bam, 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 question, answer, question, question, answer. Um, felt like one of those rapid fire question sessions when we have them in the episode, but the whole episode was like that. So I hope you enjoyed it and uh, you were able to keep up. If not, you can always re-listen to it. I know I will probably benefit from re-listening to this episode and getting some additional takeaways, things that might have slipped away from me during a conversation. On that note, make sure to pick up Roman's book. That will have uh, a lot more valuable insights. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I'm just assuming that you're going to get a lot of value and also enjoy his newest book that just got released and you can pick it up on Amazon. You can get all of the show notes for this episode at www.superdayascience.com slash 193. Make sure to follow Roman, check out his books, his most recent book, and some of the other things that we talked about. As also mentioned, Roman's done a lot of talks, so you can probably find quite a few additional talks online with him in there. Um, on that note, make sure to connect as well with Roman on LinkedIn and other social media. So you can follow along with the latest developments in the space of artificial intelligence and always stay updated. One of uh, a great, probably a great source of information on AI. And uh, there we go. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. And until then, happy analyzing.